0: Frankly, if you put a, a dog feces on a piece of toast and you gave it to somebody, they probably would lose their appetite also. Out of the box, listeners, we have a really special guest tonight. I know I say that a lot, but we do. Marion Nessel is the Paulette Goddard Professor of Nutrition, of Food Studies and Public Health Emerita at New York University. In that department, she chaired from 1988 to 2003, and from which she retired in September, 2017. She is also the visiting professor of nutritional sciences at Cornell. She's the author, co-author, or co-editor of 15 books, several of them prize-winning, notably What to Eat, Food Politics, How the Industry Influences Nutrition and Health, and Soda Politics, Taking on Big Soda and Winning. Her most recent book is a memoir, Slow Cooked, An Unexpected Life in Food Politics. Marion blogs almost daily at www.foodpolitics.com, where she's writing about these very issues. Um, I've known Marion for a really long time. She's a really special lady. Um, my wife wrote a review for Worth Magazine of her book, Slow Cooked, and Unexpected Life in Food Politics. You can read the review by simply Googling uh, worth magazine deborah grayson marion Nessel. so listeners we are thrilled to have marion here today obviously you heard her credits uh, there's nobody in the world of nutrition that has better credits than marion she's been this sp- the go-to spokesperson for uh, a quote about american health and nutrition for decades and we are thrilled to have her um what's really interesting though is we're now faced with a a new a new tsunami of uh medications for, uh, for uh, weight loss. And um, this kind of has me on the ropes. Uh, you know, I read the financial press all the time, and there was a big story in Barron's that basically stated uh, that uh, the U.S. Treasury should be prepared to spend uh, a couple hundred million dollars and just, you know, pay Novo Nordisk that money right away. Why bother to even collect it first? Just send it over there right away. The, the numbers are staggering that for the weight loss uh, financial catastrophe that's going to uh, unfold it's going to cloud out almost all other healthcare as this thing goes and um, I've been for a long time obsessed about this issue for the very simple reason that um, you know I came up with this thing years ago called the yearbook challenge and the yearbook challenge is simply go to a yearbook any yearbook from a high school or a college uh, from 1960 or before and you will not see overweight people You may see one out of 100, 150, and there'll be 200 people uh, kneeling down in front of a camp from 1945 or 1950. They're all thin. No one was overweight. So now we're being fed this whole nonsense, and I'm gonna sound on this broadcast a little bit like a a nut, like RFK. We're being fed this nonsense that uh, this is not your fault. So we need to have Marion tell us what's going on here. Marion, before um, we start the whole conversation, just tell us, how serious is the overweight, well, obesity, diabetes problem in America? Give us some facts about what a catastrophe this is.
1: Well, it's interesting. Nobody wants to talk about it as a catastrophe because obesity has become normalized in our society. Uh, roughly 70% of American adults are overweight or obese. If you just look at obesity, it's more than 40%, um, 20 to 30% of children. Um, It's become normal. Uh, You know, I mean, your point about class pictures is a very good one. Um, Certainly my class pictures and my children's class pictures. There were no overweight kids in their classes, or maybe one poor thing who got picked on by everybody. Uh, But this has become completely normalized. And so if you have, as a normal part of American adulthood, the idea that everybody is overweight and that everybody has a increased risk for type two diabetes, heart disease, cancers, bad outcome for COVID-19 and overall mortality. Um, nobody wants to talk about it because it's normal.
0: Well, I want to talk about it. Um, okay.
1: Let's talk about
0: it. Let's talk about let's it. Talk about it. Okay. Take it
1: on, bring it okay. on.
0: Okay. So <clears throat> how, you know, before the, In the military, Marion, before they launch uh, a full-scale invasion, like, say, Normandy, or where my father was in the, in the Pacific Theater as a captain of a ship in the World War II, they softened up the beaches. They, they didn't just go, go out of the boats and invade. They bombed them first with rockets, with airplanes. They made sure that they could take out as much of, of the resistance as they possibly could before they landed a soldier on a beach in Okinawa or in Normandy. That's what I sense is going on right now with uh, the desire for the weight loss drugs. Um, They're softening up the American public that this is not your fault, that this is some sort of genetic. I'm reading this everywhere in the popular press, including the Wall Street Journal. This is some sort of a genetic fault, and uh, you can't help these cravings. Uh, It's not about willpower anymore. Where and when did this shift in, in the American psyche that being overweight was normalized or being obese was normalized or having diabetes was normalized? What was the year? What? Who's behind this? It, it's just so insidious <laughs> that I need to understand where it came from.
1: Well, first, you have to understand where where the enormous increase in obesity came from. And um, it begins in 1980 with the election ah. of President Reagan. Um and uh, several things happened with uh, the election of a president who was very anti-regulation and very much in favor of corporations um, and letting corporations do what they wanna do. First of all, and if you just go back before that, in the 1970s, the United States had a policy of uh, trying to produce as much food as possible. This was Earl Butts's fence row the fence row get bigger, get out, um, grow as much food as you possibly can because this is going to feed the world. And farmers responded to that and grew more food. And that began to show up in the 1980s when between 1980 and the year 2000 in that 20 year period, the number of calories in the food supply available on a per capita basis, men, women, little tiny babies, Um, went from roughly 3,000 calories per person per day to 4,000 calories per person per day. And it stayed at 4,000 ever since. Well, on a population basis, people need about 2,000 calories a day on average. That's people who need more, some people need less, but that's a rough ballpark average figure. Uh, That means we have twice as much food available in the food supply as anybody needs. Um, Now, availability is not the same as what's being eaten. People eat less than that. But the increase in calorie availability between 1980 and 2000 is enough to account for the increased calorie intake of the population during that period. And that increased calorie, calorie intake of about three or four or 500 calories a day is enough to account for the average 20 pound weight gain that occurred over the population during that period. So there were two other reasons for that weight weight gain, um, none of which have anything to do with personal responsibility. Um, One of them, and I think the most important was, was a change in the way that Wall Street evaluated corporations. In 1981, Jack Welch, who's head of general Electric, gave a speech that kicked off what is called the shareholder value movement. His speech argued that blue chip stocks that gave long-term slow re- uh, returns on investment were terrible, and that everybody who invested in a corporation should get immediate higher returns in, um, on their investment, and that everybody should follow Milton Friedman's advice from the 1970s, which was that the only purpose of a corporation is to make money for its stockholders. So that took over. And what that meant was for food company, and oh, there were also some uh, changes in regulations that made it much easier for food companies to market, uh, especially to children. But be, But what that meant for food, companies was that they not only had to make a profit, and please understand, I'm not against profit.
0: We understand.
1: Um, (laughs) Please understand that. Um, Not only did they have to make a profit, but they had to grow their profits. Right. And now you're in trouble because you are trying to sell a product in a food environment in which there's 4,000 calories available a day. And that means you either have to get people to eat your product instead of somebody else's, or you have to get people to eat more in general. And what happened in the early 1980s was that food companies, as a result of this economic pressure to reduce growth for stockholders, looked for ways to sell more product and they were really good at it. So they made bigger portions, which are extremely attractive because the price of food was cheap. There was way too much food available. And it's labor and all those other things that cost more. So food came in bigger portions. I remember when the big muffins came in in the mid 1980s, and muffins all of a sudden exploded from 200 calories, now (laughs) mini muffins, to the six or 800 calories that they are now. And if I had one thing, one concept to get across, it would be that larger portions have more calories. (laughs) They really do. They also put food everywhere. Yeah. And here, the most obvious place that I can think of was the NYU library. When <laughs> I first came to NYU in the late 1980s, there were signs all over the library. Uh, you bring some a food or a drink in here and it's and you're gonna be dismissed from the university. Um, you know, do not bring food into the library. Do not bring food into, into clothing stores. Do not bring food into bookstores, into bookstores. And now every bookstore has a cafe. Right. Every library has several cafes and vending machines. There is food everywhere. That was part of the effort to try to sell more food. And then also there was an enormous uh, public push on snacking. There was lots of research to show that people who snacked had um better control of body weight that people didn't, um, even though that's absolutely not true. The more times a day you eat, the more calories you take in. Um, all those things happened at once. And the end of it was a food environment in which it was impossible to avoid food, in which food was available in much larger amounts and it became socially acceptable to eat it all day long and everywhere. Okay.
0: Marion, I'm not an attorney, as listeners know, but I'm gonna stipulate that that, everything you said was accurate. That is absolutely a brilliant summation. Everybody knows food is everywhere. You can't drive down a street in America without seeing 16, 17 fast food competitive stores. The portions are insanely out of control. We know this is steaks are 30 ounces. Uh, Hamburgers are pounds and pounds uh, pounds of, uh, of, of meat we agree with all of this but i have to ask you one other one really kind of like personal crucial question don't didn't everybody get sick kind of like right away when they when they started doing this i mean you know if i fluctuate through i'll be personal if i fluctuate 3 to 4 pounds uh, over my desired weight i like feel like a piece of shit I feel bloated. I feel unhealthy. I can't do the things I would like to do. I look at myself in disgust, and I immediately readjust that down so that those three or four pounds shed. And I I lose weight and gain weight at the five-pound level between 175 and 180. I'm stuck there for decades, basically. But. How is it that, that America blew up from these you know, fit, healthy, thin-waisted people of the yearbooks of the 50s and 60s and 40s and throughout all American history and all of a sudden started putting on 20, 30, 40, 100 extra pounds without being so sick and ill that they they stopped, they shut their jaw, they wired it. What is it that, that has allowed for the first time in history all of these you know, people to be so fat and think that, you know, and, and continue in that way. I know this, you'll, you'll talk about weight watchers and to attempt to lose weight. That's where we're going with this conversation. But it just doesn't make any sense to me based on my own kind of, you know, personal experience. And
1: those are my friends. Help me here. We're human. Humans <laughs> evolved to eat more, not less. Um, eating less is very difficult. And if you're presented, there's something, I think we're hardwired to eat what's in front of us never mind that our families told us we had to eat what was in front of us but I think we're hardwired to eat what's in front of us and if you're presented with a muffin that's 800 calories you're going to eat all of it but when you look at your waistline
0: when you look at your waistline and you look at the scale and you feel sick but people and don't Ill weigh and you themselves can't do anything don't you
1: does, does You're it? weird you are weird if you weigh yourself. You're, or let me put that more politely, you're quite unusual.
0: That's okay, weird's fine. You're
1: quite unusual, and, the, and I am too, because I weigh myself, um, because I know that that's the only way that I can monitor my calorie intake.
0: I've also had all these books about fat and salt and sugar and additives, is, is that part
1: of the mix for you? That was the point that I was about to make, is this is about calories, and calories are invisible, You can't taste them. You can't smell them. You have no idea how many are in your food. You cannot count them. They're invisible. Uh, They're an abstract concept like heat or something like that. The only way you can monitor calorie intake is by weighing yourself regularly. If you're gaining weight, you're eating too many calories and you need to cut back. If you don't do that, you have no way of knowing until it's too late. And You may be able to lose five pounds pretty easily, and I can lose one or two pounds pretty easily. But beyond that, it's extremely difficult uh, because the dirty metabolic fact, the deep dark secret is that if you lose weight, it takes fewer calories to maintain it. And so you have to keep cutting back and keep cutting back and keep cutting back. It's very hard to do. And there is an enormous amount of evidence that it's extremely difficult for most people to do it. There, it's so rare that people are able to lose weight and keep it off that there's a weight registry that has all these people who were enrolled and who've lost 40 or 70 pounds or something like that and have kept it off. And people are studying what their personal habits are that enable them to do it. They're very unusual people. Most people, when they put weight on don't realize it, don't realize it. And we now have you know, studies that show that the kind of foods that are out there, particularly what are now called ultra processed foods, um, encourage people to eat a lot of extra calories without realizing it. Right. So there's a humanity in this. And the people who treat obese people, um, are looking at these drugs as something that at last will recognize that obesity is a disease um, and that one that many, many, many people have and that when they're put into an environment in which a lot of food is available at all times and people are eating it at all times, and it's junk food, um, they're gonna eat more calories than they recognize that they're eating, they're not intending to. It just happens and it's really easy to take in an extra three or 400 calories a day over what you need it's very easy to do that very hard to take it off
0: is that why people struggle with with, with weight loss so, and like oprah there's every every conversation about weight loss in america eventually involves oprah is there is there how do people struggle why do people struggle? Why do people go to Weight Watchers? I mean, so they don't accept that they're that they are heavy. They're always dieting. There are thousands of diet cookbooks that have been mm-hmm. you know, that have been put out over the last fifty years. There's a diet a day. You know, this diet, that diet, the Mediterranean diet, the Miami diet, the this diet, the that the diet, keto diet. It's just endless, and so obviously people are obsessed with the fact that they're overweight and don't want to be overweight. Otherwise, the diet they is... they
1: can't do anything about it because it's really hard.
0: It's really I hard. I don't
1: think you can. Okay. I don't think you can minimize how difficult it is for most people to lose weight. I shouldn't,
0: and I, can't, and, I won't. And, okay.
1: And it's difficult because once you start losing, your metabolism gets slower, and it takes fewer calories to maintain your weight. But you feel so you better you have to not everybody does <laughs> okay yeah i mean i i don't know how typical you are i don't think you're typical oh, God. most people have a really hard time with it and they don't feel better they feel hungry wow they're obsessed with food one of the things that's so interesting about these drugs that i find absolutely fascinating is that people report that they're no longer interested in eating that they were used to be obsessed with food. They were always worried about the next meal. They thought about food all the time. That stopped.
0: Well, Marion, one of the reasons, according to the reports I'm reading, is that they don't feel that way because they're nauseous. They have gastric distress (laughs) and they have diarrhea. (laughs) I mean, so, you know, I mean, frankly, if you put a, a dog feces on a piece of toast and you gave it to somebody, they probably would lose their appetite also. So it's not very profound that these some of these people are are not interested in eating or don't have an appetite because they, they they're they're experiencing severe medical medical uh, side effects, right?
1: yeah, I think I think the jury is still out on these drugs. Um, I mean, for one thing, they're very expensive, and not everybody can afford them. Um, and for another, they do have side effects, and I'm seeing papers coming out every day. On side effects. On the other hand, there are people who are taking them and they're losing weight, and they're really happy about that. I think we just have to wait and see.
0: Wow, okay. I'm I'm'm I'm not of that opinion. I mean, I, I respect your opinion. I agree with you, but I, I think this is this is a call for a national emergency. We can't afford to have everybody in this country who's overweight injecting themselves every day with, with, with drugs that we don't know the side effects of long term. Um, the treasury can't afford it. The, the health system can't afford it. It's it's can't this can't be a solution on a long term basis because it just can't be. It's just it's not affordable. It's it's not it's not even proven that this is going to last. So
1: no, you're making you're making me ask my most cynical question, which is, um, what industry would benefit if people ate more healthfully? That's my question. Because the organic farm or
0: the local farm, <laughs> the vegetable people.
1: Yeah, Kaiser Permanente is you know, you know, HMOs that are not for profit is the only thing I can think of. The um everybody benefits if people are over. I agree now. Everybody that's else. Okay. the drug industry yep. benefits, yep. the medical industry benefits, the diet yep. industry benefits. Um there are the and the insurance industry benefits. They all benefit if people are overweight and sick
0: that's the, um, okay nobody that's my rfk you said it that's my rfk crazy conspiracy thing that's what i see too i, I and that I, and I, that's where i'm going with this the 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 diet writers and all the health writers are softening us up for the the idea that it's not your fault that this is a genetic problem and with the ozone well path- it
1: is a genetic yeah. problem because not everybody gains weight
0: Okay, it's a genetic problem. So it
1: is. Uh-huh. I mean, there are some people... But, but, but our
0: genes didn't change since 1940. 1940. It's everything else that you mentioned before. So, but yes, let's get back to that. Yes, everybody benefits. That's what I'm getting at. The only people who don't benefit is the United States is a country. We don't really benefit. You know, the military now uh, rejects something like two-thirds or three-quarters of all applicants and many of the... Because
1: re- they're overweight. They're overweight.
0: Right. They can't run down the down the training field they can't lift a rifle they can't walk these kids are sick we have heart disease in kids six seven eight nine already so w- america is, is is being weakened as a nation um our health system is being weakened our you know the, yeah the drug companies benefit but the treasury doesn't benefit the taxpayer doesn't benefit when their uh, health insurance bills go, skyrocket because we have such a sick population you know, I mean, the people aren't benefiting, maybe the corporations are, which really does lead me to the belief that, you know, you if you really wanted a Harold Janine uh, ITT integrated corporation, you would immediately start buying, you know, baby food, and then you'd start buying a healthcare company, and then you start buying an Ozenpec or, you know, a, a, a pharmaceutical company, and then you start buying a coffin company, you know, and then you'd have everybody all, you know, you'd paying into your Corporation, you know, direct line, perfectly integrated. Yeah, exactly, perfectly (laughs) integrated from cradle to grave. Actually, what we have right now is cradle to casket. That's what America's healthcare system and food chains are is doing to people. It's cradle to casket. People dying way early from heart disease, from 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 strokes. Um, the, the stroke belt in the south is, is 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 legendary for overweight people waddling around. You go down there, you see these people there. It's unbelievable. You can't. You, there's almost like a dozen species.
1: But there's one other point, and that is, you know, I mean, one of the things that interests me is there's no government program to try to prevent obesity or to deal with it, and that, of course, is because it would require fighting the food industry, um, and nobody wants to do that eating less is very bad for business. You know, and if you want to lose weight, you have to eat less. You know, eat less, everybody is always saying eat less, move more, doesn't work. But in fact, it does if you do it. Um, It's just that it's really hard. Could you ever see, okay. And you you cannot underestimate how hard it
0: is. You're right. I shouldn't, but I do. Because I I still, I'm sorry, I still believe In willpower, I called me really old-fashioned. You know, I stopped smoking one day. I mean, I smoked when I was 17 years old. I smoked a pack of camels every two days. I smoked all throughout college. I mean, I smoked cigarettes, real cigarettes. that didn't have filters on. And then one day, about when I was, I don't know, 25, 24, something like that, I realized this was really stupid. Just stupid. And I stopped smoking. I mean, I don't know why people can't just look at themselves and exi- and have some willpower, but you're telling me they can't. And I accept that because you're far smarter than I'll ever be. So if they can't, they can't. But can the surgeon just... Just
1: because you can doesn't mean Correct. that everybody else... And that's can. what
0: you're educating me for because I don't understand that. I just don't and understand yeah um,
1: You know, and people who... Uh... You can't. I mean, it's really funny. You can't even say people who are obese anymore. You have to say people who have obesity. Um, yeah. Because the the community of people who are really concerned about um, dealing with people who are overweight and obese who want to do something about it but are having a really hard time doing something about it. Um, are just think these drugs are the most wonderful thing that's ever happened um, because they really, you know, I mean, it, it, they're better than bariatric surgery.
0: They are really,
1: okay. or at least, well, okay. surgery is permanent.
0: Yeah, but injecting yourself <laughs> every day with some some hormone or whatever they, they're they're uh, GLP and
1: agonists. gone like. 1 what is
0: a G- glp agonist
1: uh it's uh, it's it it stops it it's st- it prevents G. it prevents glucagon like peptide from acting <laughs> um so it reduces appetite and okay. makes you not hungry and makes you not want to eat so much it seems to work really well at that
0: wow um
1: Could- how you know what the what the risk benefit is, and what the we, won't for, we won't know that for.
0: We won't know that for. We
1: won't know that for.
0: We won't know that for, for a really long, long time. But meanwhile, this is clearly these drugs can't be kept in stock. They're all being sold out. You know,
1: <laughs> Novo Nordisk has more money than the gross National product.
0: of Denmark. Um, I know that I read. They, they're affecting <laughs> the currency of Denmark. I know. I, I read that. I. I. I, I yeah. I, I heard uh, that. Um. Could you ever see the Surgeon General of the United States putting his foot down in the future, and uh, like w- when they decided they were going to stop smoking, um, make it, ma- alert the American public that it's a health emergency regarding uh, obesity uh, and being overweight, and go on a national campaign, just like with smoking? You know, putting there
1: was one in two thousand. The Surgeon General issued the Surgeon General's report on on obesity and said, we should do something about it. Nothing happened. Um, nothing can happen because it means regulating the food industry, and that's not possible politically.
0: Could you just educate the consumer? or, or is that no, no,
1: education doesn't work. Education doesn't work. No, education doesn't work. Die and diets. You know and, uh, that people know they're supposed to not be overweight. They can't do it. They cannot do it. Um, they cannot do it because food tastes good. And it's one of life's greatest pleasures. And it's very hard to give up that pleasure. Um, you know, I, in some sense, it, it, food, food activates the same responses as addictive drugs. Whether it's addictive or not, we can argue about. But the, uh, it certainly has the same um, physiological benefits as addictive drugs do. People don't want to stop eating. They like eating. Um, but if they
0: like eating, eating so, Facebook, if they like eating so much, why are they buying diet books by the billions? You know why? Why is it? There? Because
1: everybody's looking for a quick fix. Uh huh. And the diet books promise that if you just do what they say, you will lose weight, and you won't even notice it, and you won't have to count calories, and you won't have to worry about calories. You just do what they say. And of course, if the diets work. They're cutting calories. Of course. But the, the objective is for nobody to realize it. And so then there are huge arguments about high fat and high and high carbohydrate, low fat, low carbohydrate. Right. Uh, you know, this method, that method, they're all they all work. Every single one of them works if you do it. But people can't follow them. They cannot do it because it's too hard.
0: Okay. But you know, back to this yearbook challenge, I I accept and understand what you're saying. And you're really educating me. I really did not understand how difficult this was. But I'm still flabbergasted that this happened so quickly, relative to all of human history. That's where I'm getting I still can't get over, you know, looking at pictures of people in the 50s, 40s, 30s, 20s, whatever these thin waisted. Oh, are
1: you? All you have to do is look at graphs of the rise in obesity between 1980 and 2000. That's all you have to do. Up it goes. And you look at calories in the food supply. You look at the size of portions. This is the work that Lisa Young, my former doctoral student, did as part of her dissertation, was to demonstrate how larger portions got introduced during that period, in everything. Sodas got bigger, hamburgers got bigger, everything got bigger. Everything got supersized. That's all you have. That's all you need to know. Larger portions are a sufficient explanation for why people gained weight. You don't need to know anything else. People were eating more. There's plenty of evidence for that. Um, and, and there it was it was a method for selling it was a method for selling more food
0: there's no internal thermostat <laughs> that shuts that down that's what you're saying right there's no internal thermostat right. and i thought there was i legitimately thought that, that you may that, have one that that these i legitimately thought that people who were walking around weighing 200 pounds more were willfully ignoring their internal thermostat. they were oh. like walking into a sauna instead of you know instead of no. walking into a, 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 a room at 68 degrees intentionally and you're saying no no you're much more you're really you're really sweetly sympathetic it's a real it's sad I mean it, in in a way it's sad because it's
1: no really... there is no internal thermostat there is Jesus we have one controlled clinical trial. <laughs> Done in a metabolic, a locked metabolic ward where people couldn't achieve That demonstrates that people are completely unaware of the number of calories that they. I know eating. they are.
0: No, I understand that they're unaware, but they can't be unaware when they go from a size thirty-four waist to a size forty-six waist.
1: Oh, look what happened! I wonder. I can't do anything about that. <laughs> uh, I mean, they, it's it's oh in order to do something about it, you have to stop eating you have to eat less than the amount of calories that you're expending it's really hard to do that
0: okay all right so oh. you have really okay um i, I thought i was going to i thought you and i were going to collaborate on the on on <laughs> collaborate on a um uh, exposing or shaming if you will or you know decrying the lack of willpower and 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 laughing at the the need to take ozempic and uh and uh, govy and uh, this is a disaster, et cetera, et cetera. But you're coming out from a different place. And I, that's why I love doing these podcasts, because I learned something. And I actually, as long <laughs> as I've known you and I've known you for decades, I, I just learned something that you don't really, you know, you, you, this is not your fault. You basically are agreeing with the Wall Street Journal article that said it's not
1: your fault. Well, it is and it isn't. <laughs> yes, it's choices, but... You're making food cho- People make food choices in an environment that they did not construct. People are making food choices in a food environment that's been designed to try to get them to eat more food, not less. And if you are trying to eat less under those circumstances, you're fighting the entire food system on your own. That's asking a lot of one person. It's really asking a lot. We haven't even talked about all the other things that food companies do, advertising, marketing, um, you know, sports figures, celebrities, everybody eating, everybody pushing exactly the kinds of foods that are high in calories and that are very hard to control once you start eating them. Um, portion size is absolutely critical, but people have gotten used to large portions. It's hard to go back. If you put on somebody's plate what people typically ate in the 1950s and 60s people would think they were being cheated <laughs> no. okay. so that's what you're up against okay.
0: I, I get it <laughs> you, you, I, I, you sobered me you sobered me up how long do you that's how long do you think it will wrap it up with this how long do you think it will take for us to understand um, these uh, G, LP one agonists and funny it rhymes with agony isn't it the the idea that they're agonists how long i think i
1: I think another year and we'll know a lot that's
0: all just a year
1: oh yeah oh yeah there are a lot of people taking these and everybody is doing these i mean the papers are their papers are already coming out all the time so are
0: the lawsuits by the way
1: um yeah i'm sure
0: <laughs> people people who claim they're sick they're ill you know they got they got stomach shut down they have they don't make a bowel they haven't made a bowel movement in two years <laughs> you know it's like although the, the tort lawyers are going to be all over this as soon as they as soon as they can because people are some people will be sick i mean that, that there's no question you can't tinker with the human body at this level with the daily injection of a new drug and 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 think that there aren't going to be consequences correct
1: i I'm trying to stay open-minded. Yeah. okay. Well, I mean, I'm not in favor of taking drugs. And I think the drug company, I mean, I saw one report in the Guardian about what Novo Nordisk did in order to get the drugs through the approval processes in the European Union. And there were 3,500 payments made to doctors, yeah. to nutritionists, to people in hospitals, Um, you know, to everybody who had any influence whatsoever. I mean, they essentially bought their way into it. Um, And they're going to make a lot of money as a result, and we'll see what happens. We'll see whether the lawsuits balance it or not.
0: Right. Okay. Um,
1: I don't know. We just have to wait and see.
0: Right. And a year is a shorter time than I thought. I thought you were going to say like four or five years or something like that, but, you know, you... you...
1: I don't think it'll take that long.
0: Wonderful. Okay. Well, Marion... Thanks for setting me straight. I feel, I feel feel chastened, intellectually chastened by you, but that's a good thing to be. I really am. It's really interesting. I mean, really, really interesting. Listeners, I really- Oh,
1: I have a lot of, I have a lot of sympathy.
0: I clearly, you do. It's really awful. Clearly, clearly you do. Listeners, I hope you learned as much as I did and Certainly, um, Marion educated us as to really what she thinks. There's no better, smarter person. Her books are extraordinary. Food Politics is the book to read uh, about the American uh, food system and the political system, the junction of the two. Um, She's written about 10 other books. They're all brilliant. They're all available. Please uh, follow Marion and, uh, you know, learn more. Thank you so much, Marion. Really appreciate it. Listeners, believe it or not, we're on Instagram. Please follow us at OOTB with Jay Russo on Instagram.